Hello, and thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, Brendan Mooney, Jan Lewis, Parker, Stacy Thewis, Dread Bill, KG, Samuel Moon, Andrew Postlethwaite, Ox Rule, LP, and Emma Couch. Thank you so much for your support. And if you signed up in the last 10 days or so and you haven't heard your name here, we had to do the credits a little early this month, so we'll catch you on the next episode, I promise. To hear your name right here alongside all of our other patrons, join us over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 13pod, where there's a whole lot more 13 happening every month. Not only do you get a second story every month, and sometimes more than just two stories a month, you also get access to a Patreon-only Discord server where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. Ad-free episodes, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and, depending on your tier, exclusive Patreon-only merch. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. We'll put a link in the show notes. This month, we've got a double feature for you. Our first story is They Come as Fireflies by Chris West. Our second story is Deadline by Julia Lafon. We're excited to bring you both of these authors' work, and if you'd like to submit your own work to the show, check out our submission guidelines at 13podcast.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for that, too. And hey, we mean it when we say that we couldn't do this without you. Okay, get comfy. Turn down the lights. Are you ready? On with the show. Trailend is a town that lives up to its name. It's a sleepy hamlet nestled between the banks of the Tennessee River and the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. During the warmer months, it caters to all types of outdoorsy folks, looking to leave civilization behind for a long weekend. A year ago, I was one of those weekend warriors. I couldn't wait to get lost in the woods for a few days to feel the restorative healing of Mother Nature work its charms on my battered psyche. Back then, my life was in shambles. I had just graduated college with massive student loan debt and few prospects in my chosen field. I applied to every job that fit my degree, but I couldn't even land an interview. Needing money, I took a day job to help pay the bills until I could find something more permanent. Six months later, I was still at my day job and most of my prospects had dried up. Worse, the stress from my job was eating my soul. I loved my coworkers, but management, as usual, was the worst. Every encounter, no matter how benign, left me feeling emotionally drained. The daily onslaught of being micromanaged into the ground was enough to make you want to jump out of the building. I'll give the company credit for one thing. They made the office building windows hard to break, thus saving countless lives. On top of all of that, my significant other Charlie and I were at a reflection point. We were both pondering the future, but only one of us was curious if it included the other person. In our best moments, our bickering was playful and fun. Lately though, that had all started to curdle into bitterness and anger. 
Suddenly, my home went from being a refuge to a big black hole of suck. At the time, it felt like my life was darkening, and I wasn't sure I had a light to see my way out. Our trip to Trail End was very much needed. I was hoping to not only unwind and relax in those woods, but also I was hoping to reconnect. If the trip went well, I felt like my relationship had a fighting chance. I didn't want to think about what lay ahead if it went sideways. We drove up together in my old beat-up car. Now, I love my car, whom I referred to as Deep Blue, for reasons lost to me. But my better half was not a fan. In fact, they were confident that Deep Blue couldn't handle the drive. I wouldn't hear it. Was Deep Blue ugly? Yes, she was. Did she have over 200,000 miles on her? Of course she did. Was she loud? And did she have a constant check engine light glowing? All classic cars do. But I believed in her. Despite my initial confidence, I was worried Deep Blue might not have the oomph needed to push ahead as the roads inclined. Thank God for small miracles. The old girl pulled through. Our cabin was in the middle of nowhere and looked like it was built during Abraham Lincoln's lifetime. But it was better than a tent. The interiors of the place were a bit better than the outside, but not by much. The real perk of this spot was a big river rock fireplace and a surprisingly comfortable king-size bed. The condition of the cabin was a secondary concern for the trip. The real beauty was the view. From the cabin's front porch, you had a view of a golden valley, filled with tall, sweet grass that swayed in the breeze. There was a wooden walkway that cut through the grass and led to the banks of the river. It was a sight to behold. On the opposite side of the valley was a dense, piney wood, so thick with trees it got dark hours before the rest of the valley did. When the wind blew, you could hear it push through the millions of pine needles. It sounded like the ocean. If you closed your eyes, you could trick your brain into thinking that you were near the beach. It was what I needed to help heal me. After we brought everything in from Deep Blue and set up the cabin, we thought we should head into town and grab some supplies. We needed the essentials, chocolate, marshmallows and graham crackers, but also like real food and water and beer. I was going to grab a couple of cords of wood for both the fire pit outside and that inviting fireplace. I could already feel the tension melting away. Charlie and I both could. We stopped at Eddie's Shack, the local general store, and picked up everything we'd need for the long weekend. It was fun, actually. We joked around like we had at the start of our relationship. Nobody put on airs. We were goofy and lovey and remembered that we still liked each other. If this was a portent of the weekend ahead, I was ecstatic. Then we met Eddie. Eddie was cast straight out of small town central. He was older, though how old, who could tell? His salt and pepper hair was tucked underneath a weathered trucker's hat. 
He wore a red and black plaid shirt that looked well-worn, with black suspenders pinning it down to his shoulders. Honest to God, when we saw him, he was whittling a block of wood into the shape of an old-timey truck. Without looking up, Eddie made what could have been a question or an observation. City folk? I asked him how he could tell. He just laughed. I glanced at Charlie and rolled my eyes. Eddie asked where we were staying, and we told him. A cabin up by Chimney Valley. Eddie said it was a nice spot and asked if we were hunting or fishing. Just relaxing, I answered. Eddie said it was a good place for that, before finally looking up. Well, aren't you two a good-looking pair? We both blushed a bit and said thanks. While Eddie rung up our supplies, he asked if we'd ever been here before. I told him it was our first time. It really is a beautiful place, Charlie said. We are above the Whippoorwill Trail. I can't wait to walk through that field. So many wildflowers. I spoke up too. I saw some pictures on Instagram of the fireflies in the field at night. I think we should walk down there later and see it firsthand. Eddie chuckled to himself and shook his head. A little pang of worry rose in my chest. Not as good as advertised? I asked him. No, it's pretty enough, he said. But if I were you, I wouldn't go wandering in the valley at night. Not at all. Wild animals? Charlie asked. Not exactly, Eddie replied. I asked him what he meant by that. You have any idea how old those woods are? That mountain range? Eddie asked. It didn't seem like a question we were meant to answer. He went on. Older than the good Lord and deeper and darker than hell itself. Lots of things out there that we don't know about. I looked at Charlie and my eyes screamed, we should leave. But Charlie wasn't quite ready. I saw that inquisitive look on their face and I knew we weren't going anywhere. Charlie had been hooked by Eddie's ramblings. They leaned in and asked, but you're only thinking of one thing out there, aren't you? Eddie nodded as he bagged the marshmallows. Yep, I'm thinking of one specific creature I'd avoid. What is it? Charlie wondered. That's when Eddie started in. He said they come as fireflies, but they don't stay that way. That's just how they get around, how they blend in. I wanted to say I don't remember seeing any monsters on the Insta feed but thought the remark would fall flat. Plus, I wasn't sure I wanted to hear any more about these creatures. I know how my brain works. Later tonight, when Charlie inevitably falls asleep before me, I'll be stressing about firefly monsters. But Charlie kept on. What is it? They asked Eddie. Eddie looked Charlie dead in the eyes and said, The Maymen. What the hell are the Maymen? Charlie asked. Eddie said he didn't know exactly, but that we should stay away from them. Charlie kept on. What do you know? Are they people? In a way, Eddie continued. Yes. And in a way, no. I hear they look like a person, but taller. And their eyes glow green. That's how they blend in with the fireflies. But that isn't the worst part. 
We waited with bated breath, but Eddie just handed us our bags. That'll be twenty-two thirty-five. I reached for my wallet, but Charlie knocked my arm down. Eddie, what's the worst part? Oh, he said. They got long blades for arms, and once they spot you, he trailed off. Charlie looked excited. Do they follow? Oh, yes, Eddie said, spitting into a little styrofoam cup. Need to get near a fire to keep them away. Or so I'm told. Again, I've never seen one for myself. I spoke up, handing the cash over to Eddie. I wouldn't want to, either. He handed me my change. If you've got a fireplace in your cabin, I'd keep a fire burning just in case. They can't use doors, but they can come down chimneys. Maybe I'll take another quart of wood, I said, handing over a five. We hustled out of the store and let Eddie return to his whittling. We stayed quiet for the first ten minutes in deep blue, but I knew it wouldn't last. Charlie was busting at the seams. Finally, they blurted out, What the fuck was that? I said I had no clue. The Maymen? Charlie went on. I did my best to mimic Eddie's voice. They come as fireflies. The review of my attempt was sudden. Charlie blanched and gave me a thumbs down. It's a work in progress, I countered. There was a moment of quiet. I let my guard down. A little more timid this time. A little more vulnerable. Do you think there's anything to it? No, Charlie said immediately. These are some backwoods stories designed by bored people to scare tourists. Then, giving me a little look, needling me, Charlie asked, Did it work? I lied and said no. And a part of me, most of me, believed it. Eddie was an unreliable narrator. Charlie laughed and changed the subject. Hey, did you grab some booze back there? I said that I did. We got back to the cabin with some daylight still left. I wanted to get an early jump on dinner, but Charlie wanted to hit the trail before it got dark. You don't want to walk in the river? They asked. Dinner will still be here when we get back. Should I start a fire? I asked, trying not to sound worried. Charlie saw right through me. Let's prep a fire, and we'll just hope the Maymen leave your carefully balanced wood alone. I rolled my eyes. You're so funny. Then, I went about setting up the fire in the fireplace. It was a smart idea to get this prepped. The walk through the valley to the river was longer than Charlie thought, and we'd both be starving by the time we got back. There was a wooden staircase from the cabin's property that led down about 50 stairs to Chimney Valley. The landing at the bottom split into three different trails. The most popular and longest was the Whippoorwill Trail. It was a raised boardwalk that zigzagged through the tall grass and flowers of the valley and deposited us to the banks of the Tennessee River. The walk was stunning. As we descended the stairs, I could smell the valley below me. The rush of the river was audible from so far out. 
and that noise mixed so well with the call of the birds and the buzzing of the bees. The valley was blooming, and countless wildflowers of different colors were all around us. We were surrounded by life, and it was mesmerizing. We got down to the river and dipped our toes in. The water was freezing, so we decided to wait to try to go for a swim the next day. We sat at the water's edge and just talked and connected with one another. It was what I needed. It was what I craved, and it was everything I'd hoped this trip would be. But it was also time-consuming. Before we realized it, the sun had started to set. We really didn't want to hike up those stairs in the dark, so we started back towards the cabin. Despite our best efforts, the night would catch up with us. When the sun sets behind the woods, it gets dark almost instantly. I couldn't help but think of Eddie asking us if we knew how old the woods were. Deeper and darker than hell itself, he'd said. By the time we were halfway home, it was clear we'd be doing most of this hike in the dark. It was okay, though, because the valley was just as beautiful in the evening. A wind picked up, and the tall grass around us rolled like ocean waves in the breeze. There were more stars overhead than I had ever seen before. I could still hear the rush of the river, constant and calming. Charlie held my hand as we walked along the boardwalk. This feels like a dream, Charlie said. I can't tell you how much I needed this, I told them. We needed this, Charlie corrected. We needed this, I agreed. We slowed our pace and just enjoyed being with each other. Charlie rested their head on my shoulder and we strolled along the boardwalk. I couldn't see the stairs, but I knew we were getting close. The thought of climbing old, rickety wooden stairs in the pitch black was not appealing. But then, Charlie yelled out, pointing at the grass. Look! Oh my god! There are so many of them! I turned and followed their gaze. That's when I saw the glowing lights of fireflies all around us. Green and yellow lights winked in the darkness. There must have been thousands. It instantly transported me to my childhood. I spent summers on my grandparents' farm in the country, and at night, I'd stare out the pastures as the fireflies arrived. I put my arm around Charlie and gave a squeeze. This is incredible, I said softly. I'm so glad we came down here tonight, they agreed. Me too, I said. I gotta get a picture, Charlie said, pulling out their phone. Come on, get close, and I'll get a selfie with the fireflies in the background. Charlie held up the phone and snapped a photo. Unfortunately, the auto flash was on, and the burst of light nearly blinded us. I winced and closed my eyes tight. I'm so sorry, Charlie said, trying to sound sincere but also laughing. I'll put it on night mode so it'll get everything, but you have to stand still for a few seconds. We tried again, and this time we weren't blinded by the flash. Charlie pulled up the photo and gave a little squeal of approval. Look at how many fireflies there are. I took the phone and looked at the photo. 
We were surrounded by fireflies. They were all around us. It really was an incredible picture. Even though it was just a selfie, Charlie managed to get so much depth in the shot. I was about to return the phone when something in the photo caught my eye. I zoomed in on the space between Charlie and me, and I felt my body freeze. There were two fireflies behind us in the shot, or I thought they were fireflies. On closer inspection, they were eyes. Someone was standing on the boardwalk behind us. I didn't want to say it out loud, but I needed to tell Charlie. I pulled up the notes app and started typing. Charlie was confused. I held up the screen. All I wrote was, someone is behind us. In the faint glow of the phone, I saw Charlie's face go from bliss to horrified. Charlie took the phone from me and typed, are you sure? I pulled up the photo and handed the phone over. Charlie looked at the photo and their jaw dropped. The phone started shaking. I grabbed Charlie's hands and I held them. I tried my best to calm us both down. I leaned in close and I whispered, on three, we run. Okay, Charlie said, their voice shaking. Is that a May man? I don't want to stick around to find out. Are you ready? Charlie nodded and pocketed the phone. Don't look back. Just run for the stairs, okay? Charlie nodded again. One. Two. Three. We both took off like a rocket. At first, all I heard was our footsteps slapping against the boardwalk, and I wondered if my mind was playing tricks on me. Then, I heard the high-pitched scream bellow from behind us. I felt it climb up my spine and lodge into my brain. I have never run so fast in my life. Charlie screamed. What the fuck is that? I yelled. Just run! Charlie got to the stairs first and started taking them two at a time. I was worried the weather-beaten stairs might break from us running up them, but it was a secondary concern at this point. From behind us, the creature was gaining speed. Its footsteps were violent when they hit the boardwalk. Worse, something was clearly digging into the wood with each step the monster took. Something sharp, like a knife. I suddenly remembered Eddie mentioning blade arms. I could feel the entire staircase shaking as we dashed up it. I was about two-thirds of the way up when Charlie reached the top. Hurry up! Charlie pleaded. Get inside the cabin! I yelled. I'm right behind you! Charlie waited a second and then took off. I was nearing the top of the stairs when I felt the stairs shake below me. I looked back and saw those green eyes staring up at me. The May Man screamed again. It was like it was piercing my brain. The moon came out from behind a cloud, and in a fleeting second, I saw the light reflect off of the arms of the creature. Eddie hadn't been mistaken. The creature had blades for arms. I watched as they dug into the wooden stairs and helped the Maymen launch up four stairs at a time. It was time to move. 
Charlie was standing in the cabin's doorway, pleading for me to hurry. I could hear the Mayman launching up more stairs, and I knew we had limited time. I made the few steps, and in one motion, I spun around and slammed the door shut behind us. <sighs> It took a moment, but I regained my senses, locked the door, and stepped away. I glanced around the room and saw the big bed. That would block anyone from opening the door. We dragged it in front of the door and pressed against it, bracing for the Mayman to come crashing into the cabin. What the fuck is happening? Charlie asked. I don't know, I replied, but we're safe inside. Are we? I have to believe that, I admitted. When the Mayman reached the top of the stairs, it bellowed again. We both covered our ears. The scream echoed across the valley. I had a hard time believing everyone in Trail End didn't hear it. We waited for the creature to start battering the door, but nothing happened. I glanced up from behind the bed and looked through the windows to see if I could spot the creature. I didn't see anything. I knew it was out there, but where? Suddenly, I heard something thump on the roof. It had launched itself up there, but why? Then I remembered what Eddie said about chimneys. I spoke out loud, but as if to no one. It's gonna come down the chimney. Fire, Charlie said. Start the fire. Charlie fished in their pockets for a few seconds and pulled out an old Zippo. I snagged it and made my way to the fireplace. Above me, I heard the Mayman struggle to find its footing on the slanted roof, but it was clear where it was heading. I ran to the fireplace. Thank God I'd already prepped it before we left. I started laughing at my dumb luck. My hands trembled as I tried to flick the wheel on the Zippo, desperate to get a flame going. The Mayman reached the top of the chimney and let out another yell. I was so scared I dropped the Zippo. Fuck, 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 I said, scooping it back up and frantically spinning the flint. It would spark, but no flame caught. I heard the blade arms dig into the river rock at the top of the chimney. The Mayman would be inside the cabin in a matter of seconds, and we had blocked off the only way in and out. My heart raced. I could feel my blood rushing in my veins. My fingers desperately tried to coax a flame out of the Zippo. I could hear the Mayman push its large body into the chimney. I'd be face to face with it in an instant. Come on, Charlie yelled. I could hear the massive body inching forward. The Mayman screamed again, and I could feel the sound waves blast my hair back. I could feel a trickle of blood roll down from my left ear, but I ignored it. I pressed down hard on the wheel and spun it so firmly it left a gear-like indentation in my thumb. But it worked. The spark finally caught. I had a flame. Just as I saw the tip of the blade reach the edge of the fireplace, I dropped the Zippo into the instant start kindling and watched the fire ignite. The Mayman screamed again, but this wasn't the same as before. It was in pain. The blade retreated and I heard the body struggling to shuffle up the chimney and escape the growing fire. I heard it reach the top and scream. It dug its blade arms into the roof and launched itself into the darkness of the woods. 
as quickly as it arrived. It was gone. I laid back on the ground and started laughing. I didn't know what else to do. Charlie crawled over to me, and we laid in each other's arms. We didn't say a word for the longest time. We just embraced. I knew that I loved Charlie. Think this is what they mean by the restorative healing of Mother Nature? I asked. Charlie started cracking up. I joined in. We laid there for a few minutes more, laughing and coming down from the adrenaline spike. This was not the relaxing trip I had hoped for. Eventually, as expected, Charlie fell asleep first. I stayed up the rest of the night, feeding the fire and ensuring that the light never went out. Sometime around dawn, I dozed off for a spell, but the sunlight streaming through the windows woke me up. Charlie woke up and stretched out. Are we okay? Right as rain, I said with an exhausted sigh. We're leaving, right? Fuck yes, I said. We pushed the bed back in place and packed our bags up. I lit one of the last logs like a torch and opened the door. I didn't think the Mayman was there, but I didn't want to be caught off guard either. I felt dumb holding it, but I didn't care. I can drive first, Charlie offered, and I instantly agreed. I needed to get some real sleep. I could feel the weariness in my bones. I'd be out five seconds into the drive. Charlie loaded up the last of the bags and slammed Deep Blue's hatchback door closed. Think this old girl will make it home? I never doubt Deep Blue, I replied. You are the only one, Charlie said with a wink as they got in the car. I walked over to the outdoor fire pit to put down my torch when I heard something shuffling at the edge of the woods. I gripped the log tight in my hands. I assumed these creatures only moved around at night, but I had no idea if that was true. Start the car, I yelled over my shoulder. I could hear Charlie turning the key and the engine struggling to catch. Another turn, and the engine sputtered, but it did not start. A third time, with the same result, Charlie leaned out the window. Could anything else go wrong? That's when we heard the Mayman scream. It burst out from the woods and arced into the sky, heading right towards me. Time slowed down as the monster descended on me. I heard Charlie yell. I heard the car struggle to start again. I saw the sun reflect off the blade arms that were mere feet from my body. And I saw my reflection in those firefly eyes. I also remembered that I was holding a torch. When the Mayman was just a foot from me, I slammed the torch into its face. The creature screamed and went up like it was soaked in gasoline. It crashed into me, but I kicked it off and I scrambled to my feet. I dashed to the car and slid inside, shouting, Go! 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 As I did, Charlie cranked the key. Nothing. Again, nothing. I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the Mayman, fully engulfed in flames, steady itself and try to stand back up. I patted the dash and whispered, Come on, girl. For me. 
Charlie cranked the key again, and the engine caught. It roared to life. In a second, Charlie shifted into drive and floored it. We fishtailed on the dirt road, but the tires caught, and we flew down the mountain. We didn't stop driving for three hours. We both flipped off the welcome to trail end sign as we passed. It was safe to say we'd never be coming back. Against the odds, things improved after the trip. I think when you face death, it helps put things into perspective. Charlie and I had a long talk and decided we wanted to stay together. We're still going strong. Work got better too, once I learned to leave the bullshit at the office. I'm still struggling to find my dream job, but hey, we're all struggling. Last night, after Charlie fell asleep during a movie, I went out on our balcony and watched the city below. The noise of the city isn't as comforting as the wind through pine needles, but it has its charms. I took a sip of my beer and let the noise envelop me. Then, I heard it. A scream. The Maymen scream. I snapped my head up and scanned the area, but I didn't see anything. No fireflies, no blade arms, nothing. Maybe I was hearing things. I must have been. I saw it burn. Maybe I was just recovering from the encounter. Regardless, I went back inside and turned on our propane fireplace. If it came back, I'd finish the job. I burned you once, and I'll do it again. No one uses the payphone on our street after dark. Jake says he saw a guy try it a few months ago. Some poor dude whose car broke down. Says he tried to warn him off, but the guy had already closed the door. After a few minutes, the door opened back up on its own, and no one was inside. So Jake's a filthy liar. In other news, the sky is blue, the ocean is wet, and no one uses the Oak Street payphone after dark. They say it's haunted. And by they, I mean Cody, Max, and Brittany. Jake doesn't count. All three of them agree it was because of a freak accident. A truck jumped the curve, plowing right into the phone booth. But when it got rebuilt, it was still occupied by the guy who died inside the last one. Max says the ghost can't rest until he gets revenge on the truck driver. Cody says anyone who uses the phone too late dies in a car crash by the end of the week. And Brittany says that the guy was trying to call his girlfriend. So if you go in after dark, he'll force you to call her so he can try to tell her goodbye. She reads way too many romance novels. Anyway, I got bored at the library today and decided to look up whether it was true. 
To my surprise, the crash really did happen. The deaths and disappearances, on the other hand, well, unfounded rumors are enough to keep out superstitious chickens. And as it turns out, most people are superstitious chickens. I'm not superstitious, and I'm not a chicken. It's just after sunset, so the streetlights are flickering on. I turn to face my audience. Light enough? Seriously, let it rest. Brittany takes off one of her butterfly clips, nervously snapping it open and shut. This, like, she sighs and grits her teeth. This isn't funny anymore. This isn't something you should mess with. Yeah, she's right. Jake nods towards the booth. Didn't I tell you a guy went in there and got dragged away, screaming into the shadows? I roll my eyes. Sure he did. Jake crosses his arms. Cody? Max? Any objections? Max holds up his disposable camera. Ready when you are. Cody stares down at the cracked pavement, refusing to meet my eyes. Your funeral. With that, I march into the booth and pull the door shut. It's louder than it should be. Kind of like a prison door slamming shut. These chickens are starting to rub off on me. Shaking my head, I feed coins into the slot and take the phone off the hook. I punch in the number for Dad's Blackberry. He's on a business trip and my sister is hogging the landline. So yeah, I do have a reason to use the phone booth. Just because I want to prove ghosts aren't real doesn't mean I'm willing to waste money on it. It rings four times before someone answers. Hello? It's a guy, but definitely not my dad. Who is this? Who's this? He echoes back. Gritting my teeth, I wrap the cord around my fingers. Listen, I don't know who you think you are, but if you don't get my dad on the line, I'll... Wait a minute. I dialed pretty quickly, and now I'm thinking I might have mixed up the three and the one. Thirteen instead of thirty-one. Go figure. Go away. You shouldn't be here. The line is filling with static and the sound of traffic. Did I call another payphone and did he leave the door open? Sorry, dude. My bad. I hang up and fumble for more quarters. It sucks, but I definitely called the wrong number. If I want to talk to my dad, I'm going to have to try again. I punch the numbers back in pausing after each one to make sure I get it right this time. The dial tone is instantly replaced by a truck horn blaring in my ear. I scream and drop the receiver. Uh, then it hits me. It's a prank. Of course it's a prank. One of my so-called friends must have rigged the phone before I got here. I turn to scowl at them, but I can't see them. I can't see anything except headlights. Oh, hell no. My heart and my thoughts are both racing as I fumble for the handle. I have to get out of here. But no matter how hard I pull on the handle, the door won't budge. It's jammed shut. Screaming and crying, I pound on the glass. Maybe, just maybe, I can break it if I hit it hard enough. When that doesn't work, I throw my entire body against the door. But it doesn't work. I'm trapped, unable to flee from the semi hurtling toward me on squealing tires. I wonder if they'll bother replacing the booth this time.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Our first story was They Come as Fireflies by Chris West. Our second story was Deadline by Julia LaFon, both narrated by Brooke Jeanette. Music, editing, and sound design by Caleb Ritchie. Assistance on this episode from Bridget Howard and Ian Epperson. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, and Chelsea Chalais. Thank you so much for your support. Click the link in our show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. Check us out on social media. You can find us at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can find us on Facebook at 13 Podcast. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes too. Bridget Howard is looking forward to a nice, relaxing weekend in the mountains. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.